Wow, what an amazing God that we serve and know. If you don't know him this morning, I pray that you will know more about him before you leave today. Because that is exactly what we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 40. If you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Last week we looked at the first 11 verses. This morning we're going to start at verse 12 and go to the end of this chapter. We've started a new series, if you're just now uh, joining us, uh, that's going to be based on Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. Prepare the way of the Lord. So this morning, I want to invite you to just draw near in awe of the greatness and the immensity of the Almighty. There's a theologian named John N. Oswalt who claims that Isaiah is answering two questions that the discouraged Jewish exiles were asking. They had been displaced from their home in Israel, and now they were in a place called Babylon. And last time we saw from verses 1 through 11, the first question that Isaiah the prophet was answering was, does God even want to deliver us? They were in exile. They were in bondage. Does God even want to deliver us? The issue was his goodness. The issue was God's desire. Does God even want to help you with what you are facing in your life? But then when you go down to verses 12 through 31, it's like the question changes. There's a different question. Not does God even want to deliver us, but can. Can God actually deliver us? So the issue is no longer about his goodness, but his ability, his greatness. This morning, are you convinced that God is great? I believe God is going to take this passage and he's going to show you himself through his word just how great he is. I've chosen to give the message this morning the title of that song that we sang by Laura Story called Indescribable. She said that when she wrote that song, she was driving through the mountains. You ever been driving through the mountains and you, you feel how small you are and you begin to think, God must be so majestic to have made something like this. So she said she went home and she began to open her Bible and look at Job chapter 38 and was reminded of how great God is. The only thing she could think about was he's just indescribable. How would you describe God to someone else? This week while I was preparing for this message from Isaiah 40 verses 12 to 31, I ran across a cool daily devotion guide for children and it's called indescribable. Maybe some of the children, I want to uh, just put a bug in your ear. Maybe you'd like to ask for that devotion book, maybe for a birthday or something like that. But it looked really good, and I think it's got like a hundred different uh, devotions in there. But it was written by Louis Giglio, who uh, is a pastor now, but at one time he was a student at Southwestern Seminary. He was in some of my classes. But I know that you'll be blessed if you put your eyes on the Lord like we're going to today. You know, I appreciate so much the children singing you know, there's something about children singing that blesses me. I don't know about you, but boy, it just like the clouds go away and it's like the, the sun comes out. But I appreciate you children uh, singing and lifting the Lord up. And I appreciate Jacob giving us an idea of what he's going through. Don't forget to be praying for Jacob. 
You know, in his newsletter, Jacob said he is witnessing to five different Japanese. And uh, there's one man who cuts his hair, and he's beginning to meet with that man for Bible study and discipleship. It came out that that fellow had just received Christ not long before Jacob came into his life. And so he said, I'm a new Christian. And so Jacob started saying, well, maybe we could learn together and grow in Christ. But I just wanted you to see that so you would know, don't forget to be praying about uh, Jacob as he is over there in Japan. But I challenge you to notice the prophet's style of teaching. You know, everybody's got a different style, right? Well, his style was to ask lots of questions. So maybe you'll want to go, as we're reading through here, don't let it distract you from the content, but just try to make a mental mark every time you hear Isaiah ask a question in this text that we're about to read. Would you stand in honor of God's word? I'm going to begin with Isaiah 40 and verse 12. It's a lengthy passage, but hang on. God is about to open up the curtain and let you see what it's like in heaven upon the throne where he sits. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out to the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's give this message to our God. Oh Lord, this message, it's your message. It's all about you. I'm going to step aside and let you take front and center. Oh, Lord, we want to exalt you. We want to know you. I believe the more we know you, the greater our faith will be, the stronger our confidence will be, our hope will be firm, we will be steadfast. And so, oh Lord, strengthen us today. Lord Moses, he said, show me your glory. We stand beside that prayer and once again say, Lord, show us your glory show us who you are lord i remember when moses dedicated the tabernacle it says that the glory filled the tabernacle when solomon dedicated the temple it says that the glory filled the house of the lord lord that's our desire today fill this place with the knowledge of who our god is you are great and so let us get a glimpse of your greatness this morning in jesus name we pray Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How big are your problems? When you see a passage like this, you begin to realize, you know what? It's really irrelevant how big my problems are. The question is, how big is God? How big is the Lord God, the Almighty? So that's where I want to begin. I want to give you a series of five questions since Isaiah seems to be the master question asker. The first question I believe that Isaiah answers about God is found in verse 12 and again in verses 15 and 16 and 17. He gives us the answer to the question, but the first question is simple. How big is he? Let's look at the passage and see what God reveals to us about himself through his word, Rem remembering that his word is infallible. His word is true. It tells us the facts, tells us reality, okay? Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? How big is the palm of your hand? The question is, how big is the palm of God's hand? You know, it's interesting. 71% of the earth's surface is covered by water. If you were to take all of the oceans and put all of that water in one place, 
then you would have to have a place big enough for 332,500,000 cubic miles. Cubic miles. It has to be cubic because the ocean at some places, it's six miles deep. So can you imagine how big God would be to say, I can take the oceans and measure them in the palm of my hand. But have you ever heard in the scripture a, a reference to something being the span? The span is also related to the hand. The span is from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your little finger. Roughly about nine inches for most of us, but not for God. Listen to how big the span is. Who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, one span. God says, I can go ahead and just tell you exactly the heavens are that big. Think about the immensity of our universe and space. You know, the farthest that man, I mean, the farthest that man has ever gone, any man in history, is the far side of the moon with Apollo 13. At that point, they were 248,655 miles away. But that's just a very, very small part of our universe, right? Because the nearest star to Earth is Alpha Centauri. If you would like to go to Alpha Centauri sometime, I hope you're young, because just to get there, it would take 114,078 years just to reach it. So we better send the kids, okay? The observable universe, they tell us, cosmologists tell us, it's 46 billion, not, not miles. Oh, way beyond that. 46 billion light years. And a light year is 5.88 trillion miles. So just think when God says, you know what? I marked off the heavens with a span, just one. The National Science Foundation tells us when it comes to dust and dirt. You know, it says here, he enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. How big is God's measuring cup? I don't know. But all I know is this, that the National Science Foundation says that not the dust on the surface of the earth, but the dust that's in the atmosphere. The dust that's in the atmosphere. You're going to need a bigger mask. The dust that's in the atmosphere weighs the equivalent now. Kids, you tell us, okay, about this. The equivalent of 17 million elephants. That's how much dust is floating around in the atmosphere around our planet. And God says, just the dust that's on the surface of the earth. He said, I've already measured it. Can you imagine how big God is? Compared to God, he says that all the nations combined, there are 195 nations, all the nations combined are like the ancient merchants used to have to sell things based on scales. And so they would put, let's say our way of counting, let's say a pound. So they had a, a weight that was worth one pound, and then they would put the product, the merchandise, on the other side of the scale, and so it would be like one pound worth of, of 
whatever it was they were selling. And so before they would do it, they wanted to make sure that the merchant had blown off any excess dust. I mean, already the scale was not fluttering, but they wanted to be sure, so they would say to the customer, let me blow off the dust. That is what God says. All the nations combined are just like a little bit of dust on the scales and a little bit of water from a bucket. If you were to take a bucket, old style, down in a well, you reel it up, you know, it's tied to a rope, you reel it up. When the water comes, when the bucket comes out of the water, it drips, right? It's been down in the water. Just one drop, just one drop, God says. That's like all the nations compared. So why, why do we even have this discussion? It's like, God, if you're that big, you're indescribable. We can't even begin to understand how big you are. No wonder, he says a little later, he runs out of comparison. So all he can say is in verse 17, look, all the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing. How can you get less than nothing? He said it's like emptiness compared to how big God is. That's the first question Isaiah answers. Maybe you've got that question today. You've got some big problems. So all I want to say is don't forget what a big God we have. Well, that second question Isaiah answers regarding God is how wise is he? He answers this question in verse 13 and 14. How big is God? He's so big. It's indescribable. We can't wrap our minds around it. But how wise is he? Oh, it's also indescribable. You see, if verse 12 was one question, you better get ready because Isaiah is fixing to drill you with three questions as we go into verse 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? You know, a long time before this, before Isaiah's time, there was another man, a godly man named Job. A lot of terrible things happened in Job's life. He lost his children. He lost a lot of his animals, livestock on his farm and so forth. He eventually began to have health problems. And so some friends came and said, it's sin in your life. And he said, I don't know of any sin in my life. And so they began to debate back and forth, and they couldn't understand God's ways. And so after God heard it for 37 chapters, when you get to Job 38, God says, I got something I need to ask you, boys. And you know what God did? From Job 38 to Job 42, God says, I want to ask you some questions. You've been questioning my ways. Let me ask you some questions. And God asked Job 77 questions. Did you count the number of questions in Isaiah 40? It's nothing. Nothing compared to what Job heard God. I mean, it parted his hair as he sat there and God's just, where were you whenever I formed the earth? Where were you? Where were you whenever the mountain goat gives birth to their young? It's all these things and Job's like, humbling himself down. Who are we 
to question God, to think that we know more than God. Paul quotes Isaiah 40, verse 13, in Romans eleven thirty four. You know, he cannot imagine how great that God is. And so here's what he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? That's what Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty four. But listen to Romans eleven thirty three. What made Paul think of this verse that we're looking at about how wise is God? Here's what Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You see, the reason why you and I can't figure out God's ways is because they're so high. They're so high. We have no idea what God has in his mind. Remember when Peter tried to coach Jesus? That's not really a good idea. It'd be better to let Jesus coach us, but Peter tried it. In Mark 8, 32 and 33, he says, you know what? I'm going to rebuke you for saying you're going to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because you are setting your mind on the things of man, not the things of God. There's a difference, you see. We can't understand because his ways are higher, is what it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. You see, the first question pertained to God's size. The second question addressed his intelligence. But now let's move to a third question. It's going to relate to God's uniqueness. God's uniqueness. Just how different is God? I think that what Isaiah is wanting to remind each one of us in this room is there's something more accurate than human experience. Say, I've never known anybody that could do that. No, you haven't. And neither have I, because there's only one in this universe that can do that kind of stuff. And so that's what God wants us to know. He wants us to realize we have to trust biblical revelation. We have to trust what God reveals to us because human experience is very limited. You know, speaking of how much God knows, how much do you know? You know, I heard Adrian Rogers say one time that somebody told him they were convinced there was no God. And so Adrian Rogers said, okay, let me just ask you, how much do you think you know of all there is to know in the whole universe? How much do you think you know? 1%? And they said, well, I might know 1%. And he said, okay, let's say that you know 1%. I think that's being pretty generous. But let's say that you know 1% of all there is to know. He said, don't you think that God could exist in the other 99% of what you don't know yet? You see, you can't base everything on what you have experienced and what you've come to know. And that's why you have to look into God's word and it'll show us way more than we have ever experienced and known in our life. You see, these verses 18, 19, and 20, verse 25, they remind us God is incomparable. We just sang about it. Indescribable, yes. He's indescribable because there's nothing, there's nobody that we can compare him to. Almighty God is incomparable. He's, he's infinite. He said, who are you going to compare him to? An idol? An idol that man made? An idol that 
People picked up all this stuff and put it together? Really? That's Almighty God? No, you can't compare him to that. He's infinite. He talks about in verse 20, one of the things they really got to be careful with is that the idol doesn't fall. It says it will not move. But what it means is you better stand it upright. You better have some supports so it doesn't fall down. Because once it falls down, it can't get back up. Can you imagine? God is infallible. God doesn't make mistakes. We didn't give God his life. He gave life to us. And then I thought he's called the Holy One in verse 25. What does it mean when God calls himself the Holy One? It's a revelation to us that God's perfect. God is innocent. Whatever you think of when you think of integrity, you would have to multiply it times infinity because God never, ever sins and he never makes a mistake. One of the best verses I ran across this week that I would like to, if you're looking for a verse to memorize, how about this one? Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, because whenever we think God's made a mistake, it might be good to go back to Deuteronomy 32, 4. It says, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Yeah. God's the truest person you'll ever know in your entire life. Let's move to the fourth question that Isaiah answered. It's how mighty, how powerful, how strong is he? Verses 21 to 24, verse 26. You see, the prophet is asking probing questions of the discouraged exiles in Babylon. You take verse 21, four more questions. God, have you ever seen anybody like that? He's like a boxer, and he just keeps on, and you're thinking, okay, he asked me one question, he asked me two, he's asked me so many questions, I don't even know how many questions he's asked me in this short amount of time. But you see, God is trying to reveal to us something in verse 22, that his strength is seen in his absolute sovereignty over the universe. That's what he's trying to show us. He's trying to show us how powerful he is. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Have you ever heard that the cosmologists are saying that the universe seems to be expanding? It seems to be kind of expanding. And it's like people were worried about that at first. And then they began to read God's word and they said, oh my goodness, he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. It means he keeps stretching. And that's why they're noticing the planets are getting further apart. Some of the stars are getting further apart. They call it a, a red shift. But it's like, you look it up, it's called the Hubble Law. But it's amazing how God's sovereign over the universe. He's still stretching it out. Verses 23 and 24 remind us where his strength can be seen also in his absolute supremacy over history. His absolute supremacy over history. Wow. You know, verses, uh, verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the 
greatness of his might and because he is strong in power. Not one is missing. You see, he's, he's sovereign over the universe and he's supreme over human history. I mean, look what it says. He brings princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted and scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them. He just blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Wow. I thought it was interesting when it talks about how he knows all these stars. I wonder if you and I could do what he, it says he names them. Do you, how many names could you give to a star? You know, they say from the Hubble Space Telescope data, it's telling us these days that there are two trillion, not stars, no, there are two trillion galaxies out there beyond ours. And two trillion galaxies, each galaxy has around 100 billion stars. I'm not even sure we got enough time in our lifetime to even give something a name to that many things. Have you ever thought about this? Job, Job noticed something. He looks up in the sky and he sees all the stars, the moon, all these different things, and he says, what is that sitting on up there? And Job said in Job 26, 7, God, God hung the earth on nothing. Have you ever seen, remember from science class when it showed the orbit of the planets? What were they sitting on? Was there something solid under there, some base, so that the earth doesn't fall down? <laughs> no way, no way. Colossians 1, 17 says that Christ is preeminent and he holds all things together. It's if we only knew how great our God was, we wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't be worried. We wouldn't be stressed. We have one more question that we need to answer. So he's great, right? He's really great. He's really powerful. He's really wise. He's so different. But the question is, does he care about me? Can he help me with what I'm going through in my life? And I like it that the prophet ends on that question. I believe from verse 27 to 31, that was the question. You see, they were feeling disregarded. Maybe somebody here is feeling disregarded. Look at verse 27. What were they dealing with when they were sitting there in bondage in Babylon? It says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? What were they saying? God heard it. Some of them were saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't even know I exist. God's not watching me. And then they said, and my right is disregarded by my God. You ever felt God's disregarding you? He's forgotten you. Well, verse 28. Verse 28 hits to an assumption. This is why we get disappointed and he says, have you not known? He's still asking questions. He's still peppering them with questions. Have you not known? Have you not heard? What is it, Isaiah? What are you trying to remind the people of? The Lord is the everlasting God. Every generation, young people, kids, don't worry. God will be there for your generation. He's everlasting. The creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Wow. 
the assumption they were making was, I don't think he's there, but he was there. He is there still in 2021. And so there's this revelation of a power distribution that's in verse 29 when he says, here's what God is like. He's generous with all that power. He gives power. Let me say it again. He gives. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Boy, you talk about a boost when he hooks up the cables from his power to your heart. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. Yeah. You see, we're limited. We have this limitation. But the explanation we're given in verse 31 is, all you got to do is one thing. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wow. We saw a lot of things about the greatness of God. Another theologian I read this week getting ready for the message was J. Alec Moyer. He said, The wrong inference from God's transcendence is that he's too great to care. In other words, if God's that great, man, he's too great to even care about my little life. But he said the right inference from God's transcendence is the right one. And it is that he's too great to fail. He's too great to fail. If you will wait on him, if you will go to this God that we're describing, you will be surprised. That's why I wanted to close with this one last thing that it's an undeserved gift. Just like the people sitting there in bondage in Babylon they were rescued. They went home. He got them out of that. It was undeserved, unconditional. This incredible God gave us a free gift, an incredible gift. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's indescribable whenever you realize how much God loves you. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus. You see, all who suffer are always asking the same question. Why doesn't God take action to write this decision? You know, it's indescribable that God did take action. The God who created the heavens and the earth, so powerful, says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come down there, and I'm going to enter that broken world, and I'm going to show them that I care about them. And so he offers this incredible gift exchange. And he says, you know what? Here's the deal. I will give you my strength for your weakness. I will give you my holiness and my righteousness for your sin. I will die so that you can live. That's an incredible deal. I wouldn't pass it up today. That's why we always have an opportunity for people to trust Christ. We call it an invitation. It's not necessarily our invitation. It's his. So that's why we always have our musicians to come back and join us at the front. Would you stand? I want us to pray and ask God. Perhaps somebody here is, I've never accepted God's invitation. Well, it's a free gift, but you're going to have to receive that gift. You have to receive Christ. 
by turning from sin, by trusting in what Jesus did for you on the cross. They placed him in the tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. We'll wait. If God has laid on your heart a decision you need to make, I'll be down front to talk with you. Lord, I thank you so much. You're such a great king. You're such a great God. Such a wonderful creator and redeemer. We just want everybody to know about you. But reality is there's probably somebody in this room that they don't know you yet. We just want them to come along too. Lord, we know that they're welcome at the cross if they'll just humble themselves. And so I pray that, Lord, during this time of invitation, as we praise our King, that you would draw them to you. May they make things right because you died on the cross so things can be set right. You're so great. You thought of everything. In Jesus' name, amen. You come.